As we open the Word of God in the New Testament in Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians. We read two passages there. First, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14 to 22, and then 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 to 34. 1 Corinthians 10, starting at verse 14. This is the Word of God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot participate of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? That's our first passage. We now continue in chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate, you, and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So far, the reading of God's holy word. This morning, brothers and sisters, I may focus your attention particularly on 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from hymn 52, the stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord willing, next week, brothers and sisters, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Bread and wine will be distributed again. We'll proclaim the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For the children, too, that's a different service. They get to see something special. Are you all looking forward to that? Or do you have mixed feelings about it? Maybe you feel guilty somewhat because you don't have any special thoughts about it, nor do you experience that something special. Or is there a sense of insecurity, perhaps, seeing that you could eat and drink judgment upon yourself? It's a good thing, beloved, that with every celebration of the Lord's Supper, there is this preparation. It means that we are called to examine ourselves before we participate in the celebration. Our text of this morning is the underlying command for this self-examination. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Apostle Paul had good reason for writing these words. The members in the congregation of Corinth did not seem to realize any longer what they were doing in the celebration of the Supper of the Lord. Reading Paul's account of the situation, you are astonished at the mess they had made of it. Of course, 
Then you could excuse them by saying that this was only a mission church or so in which they had fallen back into old heathen practices and lost sight of the meaning of the celebration. Still, it's difficult to understand how they could be so blind that their personal interest, their worldly lifestyle, their sinful spirit and attitude could prevail so clearly. Did they not see the punishing hand of God? Especially when you consider the gifts of the Spirit that were so powerfully present in that congregation, how could their celebration deteriorate so badly? While reading about this situation, beloved, do you wonder in yourself, perhaps, could this happen to us? Or have we organized the administration to such an extent that everything will be done decently and orderly? Well, outwardly, indeed, the celebration always proceeds very orderly and in a solemn fashion. But what about our personal participation? In order that we may celebrate the supper in a worthy manner, we are called to examine ourselves. However, as the form puts it, we should do so rightly. God will certainly receive in grace all who are of the right minds. That then also is the purpose of the sermon this morning, that we may anticipate this celebration and participate in it rightly, heeding the scriptural demand for self-examination. Examine yourself to participate in the Lord's Supper. That's then our theme for the sermon of this morning. It is a feast of Christ, a feast in the Spirit, a feast of the church. So I summarize the message of our text as follows. Examine yourself to participate in the Lord's Supper as feast of Christ, as feast in the Spirit, and as feast of the church. So first of all, the Lord's Supper as Feast of Christ. One of the objectives for our pre-confession class, brothers and sisters, is their ability to examine themselves for the participation in the Lord's Supper. In the interview before the consistory as well, that is a major focus. Why? Well, because everyone who wants to celebrate the Lord's Supper must know what he or she is doing. Do you know what they mean, the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper? Do you do justice to the value of this bread and wine? That's the question every celebrant should ask him or herself. Yes, him or herself. Each one participates in full personal responsibility. Oh, sure, we know that God examines us and that He knows our heart and mind, and indeed, we also have to watch over one another. Yet when it comes to the right participation, each one has to ask him or herself, do I know what this is all about? 
Is that such a difficult question, beloved? Do our catechism students need a special course in, able to be able, in order to be able to answer those questions? Also, our younger members could answer that question, right? The bread is the body of Christ and the wine is His blood. True. But then the questions come. What about the body and blood of Christ? What was Christ's life and death all about? Why did it go the way it did? Why his suffering, his death on the cross? Why at that time, after all those years of the old dispensation, what implications are there for his death and resurrection? What consequences for the New Testament church? And on and on we could ask and consider in connection with this peace of bread. What is so important in that piece of bread for me? What's involved here, we realize, beloved, is the whole doctrine of salvation as this is taught and confessed in the church. Seeing, therefore, that everything in church should be done decently and in good order, we have agreed among the churches to give instruction in this far-reaching meaning. Yes, also the admission to the table should be preceded by such an interview in which our young people give good testimony of their ability to examine themselves. So, before every celebration of the Lord's Supper, we have to focus our attention at the work of Christ for us and in our place. Who does Christ want to be for me? We ask ourselves. And who may I be for Him? Then I need to be reminded by the Apostle Paul of that night in which the Lord's Supper was instituted. In that night, the Lord Jesus, the Christ, the mediator from God, was handed over to be killed. He gave himself up for that in love for those who are his. He shed his blood that night in order to give an even deeper meaning to the blood that was shed in the Passover feast since the deliverance from Egypt. Also, the bread of the bitterness and suppression in Egypt received a new and much richer meaning in the bread which signified the body that suffered and died, our saviors. The cup of blessing of thanksgiving for the deliverance and salvation by the Lord received its fulfillment in the cup at the table of the Lord. Christ gave Himself away to His disciples. Christ sacrificed Himself for His church. And so, still, Christ is present very much in a very special way in the Lord's Supper. We have to realize that. For if we don't, if we take that lightly, we profane his table. We profane himself. It would be an unworthy manner, beloved, if we would forget the far-reaching meaning and underlying riches of the broken bread and the poured-out wine. 
It would mean that we forget at, that at His table we have communion with Christ. Yes, even communion with the sacrifice of Christ. At His table, Christ is the host. In giving the bread and wine, He confirms to you that He gave Himself away to you. So is that now indeed the manner in which you celebrate the Lord's Supper? Do you see Christ there who personally hands you the bread and the wine as sign and seal of the sure promise that He forgives you all your sins? Do you experience the communion with Christ who took care of your punishment and guilt so that you now break with your sins radically. Yes, that too. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds the Corinthians of that night of the institution, for they did not realize this, experience it that way, so that they celebrated the Lord's Supper without it having an impact on their life on their relationships, on their sins. The Apostle Paul stresses very much the fact, brothers and sisters, that celebrating the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the Lord's death. In the sacrifice with Christ made for us and in our place lies the reason for our celebration. It's a celebration in a sacrificial meal. Now, in the previous chapter, Paul explained already what it means to participate in a sacrificial meal. By this celebration, the participant shares in all the benefits of that sacrifice. Paul includes a comparison with the Israelites to make the point. Participation in a sacrificial meal established communion, an intimate bond between the one who sacrifices and the one to whom the sacrifice is made. That's why this participation in the Lord's Supper means a radical break with your past, a death of, of sorts. A break with your hidden life and lifestyle, Paul shows in applying the comparison. Thanks to Christ's blood, we again belong to God. We live in a new covenant with God. That's why participation in the Lord's Supper means a walking with God, a living for God, a submission to God. Hence, the self-examination, brothers and sisters, which is expected from us, should make us ask ourselves whether we are living in such a communion with God, or whether perhaps, like the Corinthians were doing, we are combining with our communion with Christ a lifestyle, a manner of life, which cannot be combined with our communion with Christ at all. The astonishing aspect in the case of the Corinthians was the fact that they did not realize it. 
they combined the celebration of the Lord's Supper with one of their love meals. But in their manner of celebration, they allowed all elements of a worldly celebration to rule their practices. Also, their party spirit, their divisions, their class differences played such a role that they did not pay attention to a daily life in Christ. Well, that should be impossible. You can't live from the forgiveness of sins without breaking with these sins. You can't pretend to celebrate a sacrifice Christ made for your sins when you are totally blind for those sins. You see, without going into the details of that at this moment, but that was the problem in Corinth. And that could happen with us too. If we lose sight of Christ, of His sacrifice for our sins, of the communion we have with Him through His blood, and of the consequences of this communion for a radically new life, then we too would be celebrating in an unworthy manner. That's why we are called in our self-examination to consider the most basic elements of our Christian life. Or rather, we are to meditate on the most essential and elementary matter, namely the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Our participation must be a celebration by faith in Him, with Him, and unto Him. And if not, we would eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. Secondly, the Lord's Supper is also a feast in the Spirit. The celebration of the Lord's Supper, brothers and sisters, is a very spiritual activity. We could not participate in it without the communion with the Spirit of Christ. By the presence of the Holy Spirit only, it's possible to celebrate the supper in remembrance of Christ. For the proclamation of the death of Christ as well, we need the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, Christ is present until He comes. And through the Holy Spirit, we proclaim the work of salvation which God has completed for us. The new covenant is the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. That's how the prophets in the Old Testament announced it already. Therefore, it's no wonder, beloved, that we prepare ourselves in order that we may celebrate the supper as a spiritual meal. The food and drink in the supper are our spiritual food and drink, which make us grow spiritually. Is that what you desire indeed and seek in the celebration? For that too is then part and parcel of the mindset in which we come to the service. It will then also determine the manner of celebration. For in this celebration, we don't just get something. We also do something. We accept 
the bread. We pass on the plate. That's proclamation. It sends a message to everyone else. People, I want to live from Christ. Without this food and drink, I would die. In Christ, I have the forgiveness of my sins, and in Him, I live a new life. From Him, I receive the strength for that new life. And with the wine, it's the same. This cup is the new covenant in His blood. I belong to Him forever. I'm bought for a price. I also send it on to my neighbor in the pew. Here, brother, sister, take it too. Eat and drink, for you won't have life without Christ either. Remember and believe Golgotha. Proclaim his death until he comes. Is that what you seek in the celebration of the Lord's Supper, my brother and my sister? A feast in the Spirit, a spiritual feast, spiritual food and drink. Are we going to seek there the joy over the forgiveness of our sins and also the strengthening of our faith for the newness of life in the communion with Christ through His Holy Spirit? For you know, it happens so easily that we are seeking different things. Think of those Corinthians again. What were they seeking? Many of them were seeking themselves, maybe even in the forgiveness of their sins. At least then they did not have to worry about eternity, about appearing before the judgment seat of God. Others were nourishing their own comfortable and peaceful life with all its niceties of every day. Again, others moved slowly from their club mentality and party spirit displayed in their love meal to the same attitude in their Lord's Supper celebration. And I'm sure they all celebrate, participated in the Lord's Supper in the assumption that their faith was nourished at His table. Yet in actuality, they were busy with themselves, with their worldly life even in their participation of the Lord's Supper. How important it is, brothers and sisters, that we examine ourselves. In the Lord's Supper, we meet a living Christ. He is standing behind the table, and Him we meet in the celebration. By His death, He has made Himself for us into the real spiritual food and drink. And He still lives to make us by His Spirit share in all the benefits of this death. By His Spirit, He also nourishes and strengthens us by this supper. Hence, we can grow in our faith, in love to Him. Is that what you want? is what you seek not only the forgiveness of your sins, but also the deliverance from sin and the, renew, the renewal through His Holy Spirit so that you become spiritual people, living in their whole life from the power of the Holy Spirit, 
discerning the body, not only in your understanding of the meaning of bread and wine, but also in the sense of the body of Christ, which is the congregation of the Lord. Isn't that true, beloved? In Corinth, they did not discern the body, did they? Christ was not in the center as the one and only who bound them together and in whom they had their communion together. In Corinth, they were more concerned about people. Oh, sure, these people may have been good people mostly, people with great spiritual gifts even, in fact, that makes it so hard to understand how the situation could deteriorate so badly as it did, considering the many gifts they were boasting among themselves. Yet, the Lord's Supper was no longer the Supper of the Lord. He had become removed from it, and in Him they had lost the communion with the Holy Spirit and the communion among the members as well. That's why Paul's admonition, wait for one another, or better, wait upon each other. That is, be there for each other, share with each other, consider one another, lest your coming together be condemned. For the Lord's Supper is Christ's feast, a feast in the Spirit, a feast of the church, our third point. It actually is an astonishing fact, brothers and sisters, when you hear the apostle say in verse 17, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Your meetings do more harm than good, he is saying. Well, that sure is a statement necessitating self-examination. When we celebrate the Holy Supper, is that the Lord's Supper or is it not? That's the question they are told to ponder. An important question in, uh, indeed for us as well. Just going through the motions is not enough. How are we going to celebrate Remembering Christ, celebrating Christ, feasting as brothers and sisters, that is, as body of Christ. In the one sacrifice that we have in common as the only ground for our salvation. For the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. How beautiful this is, beloved, when the communion which we celebrate at the table indeed functions in the communion among the saints. Then the members, incorporated in Christ by faith, love one another and show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. And when there are differences among them, we deal with them in a spiritual way not in a carnal way, as true Christians, not just general humans, 
Again, how important it is then also to learn from our Scripture passage that we prepare ourselves for the celebration of this communion in the church by examining whether that is indeed how we function. For as we learn from verse 30, when that communion is denied, the Lord intervenes with His chastisements. Paul makes the congregation aware of that. That is why many among you are weak and ill, and some have died. That's a difficult word, all right. How do we have to take it? Does that still apply today? It sure does. No, that doesn't mean that if there are illnesses or deaths in a congregation, that this would indicate such a personal guilt. No, the Lord wants to teach the congregation of Corinth how sick the communion had become and how the church was nearly dead. Indeed, for the Lord does not allow the most holy things to be profaned. Of course, the Lord intervenes in that case, even if we don't want to see it. When the life in the church, the life of its members, is not totally and solely in Christ, there the symptoms of death can be seen in whatever form they come. From this example of the congregation of Corinth, we must learn by renewal, beloved, that we cannot just come to the celebration of the Lord's Supper. We need to examine ourselves. We need to discern the body of our Lord. We need to value the Lord's Supper and discern its true meaning and significance. Then we must realize that the Supper, as feast of the communion, requires true unity with Christ, true unity in the Spirit, true unity as church of Christ. We cannot take that for granted. We must examine ourselves to see whether that is a living reality in our life, not only in words, but also in deeds. For at the table, we will be standing eye to eye with Christ. At the table, we eat and drink Christ's body and blood spiritually. At the table, it must appear whether we live for each other or for ourselves, whether we care for the other brother or sister or whether we are serving ourselves. We may be convinced in ourselves of all the spirituality we believe to have, But if that does not translate in true communion, sincerity, integrity, and show of love to each other, we provoke God's punishing hand over us. Brothers and sisters, sincerely consider the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Meditate on the riches of the signs. Accept the guarantees of Christ's love. Celebrate the supper in a manner worthy of the body and blood of our Savior. Celebrate it as feast of Christ, a feast in the Spirit, a feast for the church. See how the history of salvation 
through the ages and the worldwide work of redemption in Christ are coming to you in the form of a piece of bread and a cup of wine. What great God who have planned it this way and gave it to us. What great God we have who does not only proclaim this in words, but also in signs. And what a people we may be so blessed and so privileged that we may join in that proclamation. Therefore, my heart and my mouth shall proclaim the praise of the Lord from now on and forevermore. Amen.